Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This is going to be a tough one, or at least it's tough right now. We're going to talk about Astroworld a little bit today. We're going to talk a little bit bigger picture about how hip-hop crowds have changed over the years, but we wouldn't be having this conversation had not the tragedy at Astroworld Festival happened a couple days ago. Eight people lost their lives. Donish Big, 27. Rudy Pena, 23. Madison Dubisky, 23. Franco Patino, 21. Axel Acosta, 21. Jacob Jurenek, 20. Brianna Rodriguez, 16. John Hilgert, 14. If that doesn't send a shiver down your spine, if that doesn't make you just a little bit sick, I don't know. I haven't been to Astroworld, been to similar festivals, obviously been to Rolling Loud, been to plenty of concerts where crowds got out of hand. As I get older, I try to stay on the fringes of those out of hand crowds. There is an fundamental unpredictability to what happens when you gather that amount of people in a compressed space, all facing the same direction, all sharing a communal experience, but maybe not looking out for each other. I watched a lot of videos of what happened at Astral World, and as someone that's been in those spaces, I understand how they can feel liberating and freeing and full of hope frankly. But watching those videos, I was struck by how similar they were to videos I've seen of of crowds at, at various shows for the last few years, obviously not counting COVID, and how similar they were to, to crowds at shows I've been to and made me really think hard about how fortunate we are that we haven't had an event like this happen previously. And frankly, I'm pretty surprised that we haven't had an event like this happen previously. Obviously, we're not here to report the news. I'm not here to do an investigation. It seems pretty clear that a crowd surge got out of control, compounded with the raw energy of being able to see Travis Scott, for whom Rage is a personal brand, after the last two years of pandemic. There's just a lot of overlapping and intersecting factors at play. The specifics of what happened, that's for reporters and investigators. I was trying to think about how we were going to talk about this. And I was struck by how many people I would see on Twitter not totally understand that this is what a lot of rap shows are like now. This is what a lot of hip-hop concerts and festivals are like now. And didn't witness the SoundCloud explosion up close. Never been to a Rolling Loud, never been to an Uzi show, maybe never been to an Odd Future or an ASAP Rocky show. And I think maybe what we can do today is just talk about this energy, this kind of bubbling energy that is 
fixture at hip hop shows, especially if you're on the side of post odd future stuff. If you're in the Travis world, the Cardi world, the Uzi world, the 1.0 SoundCloud rap era world, this stuff is par for the course. And I want to talk a little bit about how we got there. Not as an indictment. It's not pointing fingers at any individual artist, but I think understanding how hip hop for a lot of young kids has become this, this, this is what hip hop is. It's, you know, I just want to see Lil Baby and Lil Dirk at the Barclays. That's not what's going on over there, but that is what's going on here. And maybe if we talk about it a little bit and get them to understand it, maybe we can think hard about it and maybe find a way to, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't think we can prevent things, but I, I, I hope we can at least contextualize and make people understand how we arrived at this moment and maybe think about how this moment might end up serving as a pivot in another direction. Anyway, when I knew I wanted to do this topic and this subject matter, I know I needed to talk to someone who has been living this evolution in hip hop, someone who's been observing it, someone who's been cultivating part of the scene, someone who has seen it expand from where it was 10 years ago to what's happening now. Roger Django is here. You may remember Roger. He's been on podcast before, back when we were doing the SoundCloud rap episodes. Roger is the founder of Mask Gorilla. He runs the Unmasked concert series. He is the founder of Mast Records. Roger has a front row seat and has had one for a really long time. And he's here. Roger, what's good, man? John, thank you for the intro. A somber time to be speaking, but I am looking forward to providing some context on, you know, what this whole thing is all about. The main reason that I thought I have to have Roger on is because I know how important the scene is to you, but I also know how empathetic you are. And, and that's something that we don't get a lot of. Those things don't always go hand in hand. And so I wanted to kind of have like as humanistic an understanding of what's been going on. And so I think, look, we'll arrive at a conversation about Astroworld specifically, but I think it's important because I, I see a lot of conversation online about people not even really understanding that this is what a lot of hip hop concerts are like now, or at least a certain subset of major hip hop shows and festivals, obviously not understanding what's been going on evolutionarily in hip hop over the last five to 10 years and how pit culture, mosh culture, crowd intense culture, how that has become very, very crucial to the scene and the development of the scene. So maybe what we should do is kind of go back 10 years or so, 10 or 11 years and, and talk about, when this really started to kind of inch its way in. Now, obviously, you want to go back to like new metal, family values tour type stuff or Onyx before that. There have been like little moments here and there. But I, I feel like the current era, I feel like we're probably looking at Odd Future as a starting point. How does that feel to you? People point towards moshing in hip hop. Maybe... Beastie Boys might have been one of the first main acts to start it because they were a hardcore band in the 80s. And then their shows naturally took on that same energy. Like you said, Public Enemy, Anthrax, 
their song Bring the Noise. Onyx obviously had the song Slam, which was about moshing. And it kind of filters through to late 90s, Limb, Biscuit, that whole new metal thing. But as you said, over the past 10 years or so, I think Odd Future were the first ones to really bring it back to the forefront to a new generation who, uh, a bunch of 14 year old kids who don't know who Anthrax is. Exactly. And all the examples, the ones that you mentioned, the ones that I mentioned in their day, I would say were largely perceived as outlier. They were not necessarily, you know, obviously the Beastie Boys are incredibly successful and and famous and important but it's not as if there were a hundred bc boys in their wake creating a kind of huge viable subset of hip-hop unless you're going to consider like the white rap explosion in the late 90s the beastie boys were kind of like doing a particular kind of almost singular thing in their day certainly onyx the pe anthrax thing we can always get into like the judgment night soundtrack era all those things happened but they were not necessarily at the core of the genre when you're getting up to the early 2010s odd future obviously also not at that time at the core of the genre but i remember being very struck when i went to the first odd future show at the webster hall basement that all the sort of rule books for like an up-and-coming independent hip-hop crew at that time none of it included what happened at that show which was just like a constant constant whether it's a pit or moshing or Tyler jumping into the crowd or other folks on stage jumping in the crowd. I'm pretty sure Frank was there and kind of did some stage diving too. Not, I, I feel like I'm like 98% sure of that, that energy, that kind of raw punk energy was totally novel at that time. And I remember being so struck by how that community had kind of imported what I thought of as like, the ethics of the pit that I ordinarily would associate with punk or hardcore. Right. Exactly. Because all of those examples that we've listed off from the late eighties, the nineties, early two thousands, like you said, those were acts, those are rap acts who happen to skew towards a more harder sound. So for example, if you went to a public enemy show in the nineties, you weren't going to a Tupac show the next night and there was moshing. However, Odd Future was such a cultural phenomenon that they brought up this entire new generation on this new alt sound of rap that it's filtered over to where if you went to a Amigo show, there are kids who grew up on that future and they're in the crowd and they want to mosh and they want to bring that same energy, even though the Amigos aren't necessarily making music that translate to that. So, yeah, I would for sure pinpoint Odd Future as being the ones who brought it into the mainstream over these recent years. At that time, you have Odd Future doing it, and then kind of just like around the corner, you have ASAP and ASAP Mob. And it didn't feel quite as integral at the beginning stages, but I feel like as ASAP Mob got coalesced a little bit more. It started to feel like some of that rawness became like a parallel, like a coastal parallel, a New York parallel to what was happening with Odd Future. And the energy of the crowds, it was almost as if Odd Future broke the dam, right? It was like, this is an acceptable way to be at a rap show. And then that the next kind of scene to adopt that as an ethic was the crowd that was like coalescing around ASAP. Tyler and Odd Future 
you mentioned he was doing it the right way in terms of Tyler grew up on rap, but, but also like hardcore bands and trash talk and these harder bands. So he knew what he was doing and how to do it in a respectful way. But at the same time, the entire culture around him of Fairfax Street in Los Angeles and Supreme youth culture took on this sort of more aggressive wave to where it spread across into other acts. I mean, Odd Future's early rallying call was, what was it? Like, literally, like, burned Oh, fool. yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or or it was uh, kill people, burn fool. Good times. And yeah, yeah. And, and that was kind of the mantra across, you know, Supreme and streetwear and Fairfax and fashion and music. And it transitioned into these other acts like Rocky and eventually Travis Scott made it an integral part of his brand. What you're kind of getting at, and I, I think it's this is a key part of the conversation. Look, we can't be out here as criminal investigators, but we can be sort of cultural assessors, right? There is a difference between ethics of the pit, ethics of mosh, and aesthetics of the pit and aesthetics of mosh. I think that's kind of what you're getting at, right? Yes, is that when Tyler, the creator, might have been doing it because that's what he grew up on, it quickly became a branding opportunity for other young acts to show that they were cool and in the know. Yes. We're jumping a little ahead, but to jump to Travis and the idea of the rage being almost like a trademark in the most literal sense. This is the raison d'etre for him. It's it's the expectation of the people walking in the door. It's something that at shows he would urge people towards. And there's a very big difference between kids who grew up proximate to like hardcore scenes, heavy music scenes, and understood how the mechanics of pits and moshes worked in those scenes and then just transported them to a hip-hop environment versus people who just are channeling kind of like a raw energy without any like bigger ideology to it. The thing that's important to note as well is that Tyler, the creator was actually arrested for inciting a riot at South by Southwest in 2014 because the show was at capacity. His fans couldn't get in and he urged them to hop over the fence. He quickly abandoned that whole brand and messaging around it while he still makes, you know, youthful and at times aggressive music, he didn't make it a foundation of his image to where Travis quite literally calls his fans ragers. He invites them to the rage. And that next year in 2015, he had a similar incident at Lollapalooza where he uh, incited his fans to do the same thing. And he got in trouble with the police there. You can't know what's in the mind of a person who attends a concert, how much it's they're wanting to release, how much they're feeling like they owe to the performer. And if the performer says, hey, do this, then the fan is going to do it back. Crowd think, group think is like a very real thing in those environments to say nothing of, look, I'm sure you and I have both been in big crowds where you're not even totally 100% in control of the way that your body is being moved and pushed and thrown around. It's a very delicate situation, but the signature thing about Travis is, as you say, it's the invitation to rage. And I think if you extend that invitation very broadly, 
a lot of people will show up and have a lot of different and potentially damaging interpretations of that. Words have a multiplicity of meanings, and I'm sure there are people who, for whom raging is just going to a show and getting lost for an hour and jumping up and down and having a great time, and there are people for whom raging is, you know, I'm going to go and throw bows, basically. It's two different things. This isn't anything new, obviously, anyone who has seen the Woodstock 99 film, where it devolved into pure and utter chaos. When you get a bunch of people in one place, crazy things can happen. But to touch on, I mean, what moshing is and the culture behind it, it's not, I'm going to go to a show and I'm going to fight people. I think when people think of moshing, they think of a bunch of kids punching each other in the face. And while there are some forms of moshing at harder hardcore shows or metal shows or whatever it may be where it is more aggressive, in general, moshing is kids in the crowd, people in the crowd releasing energy, pushing, crowd surfing. It's not necessarily a violent act. There are rules to the mosh pit. The number one most classic rule is when someone falls down, you immediately pick pick them back up. You pick them up. You're not trying to hurt anybody. You're in this together. The artist is giving off energy and feeding off the energy that the crowd is giving them. It's a collaborative effort. It's not just a let's it up and hurt people. And it's symbiotic. Right. Like to, to your point, between the artist and the crowd, between crowd members, between crowd members who are absorbing energy and giving energy, it's a symbiosis. And again, that may seem abstract and it also may not be visually obvious if, say, you are 13, 14, 15 years old seeing it for the first time. It may not scan that way, but it does have an internal logic. But You know, we're talking about the difference between like the ethics of it and the aesthetics of it. This is certainly a thing where it's easy to aestheticize it and then completely remove it from its order, its logic and its function. And I think especially as crowds get bigger and crowds get younger and crowds get less predictable, invariably you're going to have people who are seeing it through the lens of an aesthetic, not through the lens of an ethic. Right. And it's very easy for the messaging to get lost on a teenager who has no idea the quote unquote rules or what you're supposed to do when you mosh. I started the Unmasked Concert Series the month after Tyler was arrested at South by Southwest and there was an odd future show with him. And I made it a point at the start of every show to quickly hop on the mic and explain to kids, hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have fun. If someone falls, scoop them up. Because I realized that these are 13-year-old kids who they haven't been going to hardcore shows. This might be their first concert they've ever been to. And I think that's what was happening with Travis Scott is that he raised a generation of kids on his brand of rage and not necessarily the you know, classic sense of moshing and community and what it's supposed to mean. We're going to be back right after this. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and producing natural gas with fewer emissions in the Permian Basin. It's and, not or. 
See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I use the New York Times games app every single day. I love playing connections. With connections, I need to twist my brain to see the different categories. I think I know this connection. Look, Bath is a city in England. Sandwich is a city in England. Reading is a city in England. And I'm going to guess Derby is a city in England. I started Wordle 194 days ago, and I haven't missed a day. The New York Times Games app has all the games right there. I absolutely love Spelling Bee. I always have to get genius. I've seen you yell at it and say, that (laughs) should be a word. Totally should be a word. Sudoku is kind of my version of lifting heavy weights at the gym. At this point, I'm probably more consistent with doing the crossword than brushing my teeth. When I can finish a hard puzzle without pins, I feel like the smartest person in the world. When I have to look up a clue to help me, I'm learning something new. It gives me joy every single day. Start playing in the New York Times Games app. You can download it at nytimes.com slash games app. Travis ends up building this rage imagery, right? But it's not only Travis, because if you think of the rise of the SoundCloud generation, you think of early Rolling Louds and well, later Rolling Louds too, but, and also, you know, Uzi, I mean, hell, you know, I've seen people moshing at, at thug shows, you know, it's not strictly limited Travis. What do you think it is about the imagery of this looseness of this kind of like radical physicality that became so attractive to a whole generation of rappers and rap fans, crucially. I think it really goes to those cultural touch points of rebelling against the mainstream. And it's what the original SoundCloud rap podcast with you was about was, okay, there's Drake on the radio And there's, you know, this in the mainstream, let's rebel. And this was a generation of kids who grew up on Jackass and Viva La Bam. And they grew up listening to bands and they grew up playing Tony Hawk Pro Skater and being introduced to rock through that. And they had all these influences and that mixed with wanting to rebel. It's like, okay, let's go crazy at our shows. Let's mosh. Let's have fun. It's funny because I remember in those earliest SoundCloud moments, you know, there's part of me that's like, ah, it's not really about Drake. You know what I mean? But like, it is really about Drake. <laughs> right. it, is. It, it is. It is really it about is. It is always about Drake. It's always about Drake. So um, I, my apologies to my haters. Uh, it's always about Drake. Look, if we're going to go down this road, like we have to talk about X, what X was doing at concerts. You know, if you look at videos of XXX and Tassion performing, the closest analog that I can think of are like videos of 80s and 90s hardcore bands. It was not at all akin to any hip-hop show that I'd ever seen, and I did get to see him perform. The energy of it was not like any other rap show that I had been to. I don't know if X or if Peep or anyone from that 2015 SoundCloud era was hopping on stage and telling kids to respect the rules of moshing. I don't want to paint Travis Scott as well. He was the one not following the rules. I think this entire new generation had a more loose understanding of what it was supposed to be about. But yeah, I mean, as someone who was doing the Unmasked Concert Series at the time, and I did shows with Playboy Cardi and Suicide Boys, people would stumble into those shows, maybe their corporate sponsors or whoever they may be, who weren't familiar, and they had no idea what was going on. In their head, rap was the polar opposite of what was happening at these shows. 
And it's hard to explain unless you were there of, oh, this feels like a hardcore show, but they're rapping. Like when I ran that era, when I went on the No Jumper tour and it was Pump and Perp, and I, I did not know at all what to expect. I was stupefied by the crowds. You know, I don't get stupefied a lot at my advanced age, but I was <laughs> genuine, but I was genuinely stupefied by the crowds. But then when you think about the rhythm, the texture of the music, the, the force uh, and the punch of the music itself, there almost wasn't a logical response to it in terms of how you deal with it with your body in a space apart from this kind of like rustling energy that felt very similar to what you would get in a traditional mosh pit. The music was so punch, punch, you know, it's very, very, very pugnacious music. And even though it's hip hop, it's not hip hop that emphasizes melody. It's not even hip hop that particularly emphasizes rhythm. It emphasizes force and the logical thing to do with your body when force is what's being fed to you is this kind of intense physical mosh reaction. The music was very aggressive, hard hitting bass. You're not standing there with your arms crossed, nodding your head. You need to be doing something. And again, X, Peep, whoever it was from that time period, these are kids who just a few years prior were growing up on Odd Future. So they had that to point towards of I want to be a rock star. The rock star idea, which we we haven't touched on so far, but I think is is really, really important, especially when you start extending this idea out to Uzi, when you end, extend it, obviously, to Playboy Cardi. When you're moving in that direction, the idea of being a rock star, this isn't like party like a rock star from 10, 15 years ago. It's not that. It's not about like tattered t-shirts, although in Cardi's case, it kind of is. What it really is, is the words rock star have some connotation that still holds, even though rock itself is effectively dead in the water. But rock star as a connotation, the abandon that that idea contains, the idea of looseness, the idea of complete mayhem, that's something that people are channeling and that hip hop artists, especially in the wake of Drake and the melodicization of the mainstream, that's the rebellion that's available. You can say that there's more things that are happening that are simpatico that people aren't necessarily owning up to, but on a fundamental level, hip hop tends to move in rebellious directions. It moves away from wherever the centrist narrative is. And even if the centrist narrative is indeed hip hop itself. So what you see happening with Travis, Cardi, Uzi, et cetera, and especially SoundCloud kids mid 2010s forward, this is the active rebellion. And so it's a rock star ideology. It's a rock star physicality. It's a rock star lack of care, ultimately. Right, exactly. And I think what you touched on early to start this podcast was, I believe you said, I'm very empathetic to the scene and to what's happening. As me personally, someone in high school who felt like they never fit in, I found a home in this scene that I later covered and worked in and still work in. So I take it very seriously, the community aspect, and I treat it with the utmost respect. I think the same thing, of course, is happening with at the time with these 14-year-old kids who were headed to these shows and they found a home, they found a community, they want to go to these shows 
and have fun and be crazy. And it's, it's not fun if you leave the show and your shirt's not ripped. It's not fun if you leave the show and you are wearing two shoes instead of one because you lost one when you were crowd surfing. If that's what you want from a show, like, that's cool. That's okay. That's like a cool thing to want from a show. There's just like a, a, an ethical way to go about it. Like, that's really the thing. It's not yes. so much that like wilding out is inherently problematic because I've been to plenty of shows that I thought were teetering right on the edge, but never went over the edge. So it's not that the act of wilding out is inherently problematic. It's that if there is a collective lack of understanding about how everybody at everybody's wilding out impulses added together end up problem, like end up amplifying and making things exponentially worse. That's really where the problem lies. It's an incredibly fine line between running up to someone in a mosh pit and pushing them to it being a fight to the crowd surging forward. And that fine line is a lot of the times balanced by the performer on the stage, keeping the crowd in check. Granted, a lot of these examples we're talking about are smaller shows and they're not festivals with 100,000 people where that becomes exponentially harder. Are you surprised that something like this hasn't happened sooner? When I heard the news over this past weekend, I was incredibly shocked. I couldn't believe the number. But as you take it in a little bit, I was a little surprised that something like this hasn't happened in the past. And especially at a a festival like this where there's 50,000 people and they're all there for one act. Also, I feel like, Look, uh, you know, I've been at Rolling Loud and I've been at other shows where I'm looking at the crowd and I'm seeing those kind of like oceanic waves of people kind of getting tossed left and right and forward and backward. And, you know, I can observe closely enough to say, huh, the individuals who are in the middle of this don't have any control of what's going on. They're just getting they're just getting tossed. You know, they're in the little dinghy on top of the big wave. And that's scary to me. That would be scary to me if I was in the middle of it. And it's scary to me watching it even from a distance. So when I see some of the video footage, you know, like the the Apple live stream footage that was circulating of the crowd, it's very unsettling. But I think the thing that people need to understand, there are people who see that footage and are totally shocked and say, I can't believe that a festival of any kind a hip hop festival, whatever, that that's what it's like right now. But the fact is there are things happening like that every weekend during festival season for the last five years, not counting COVID, right? Like not counting COVID, like every weekend during festival season, there are one, two, five acts who are drawing crowds specifically who want to be tossed around like that. That's normal now. Right. And I think the thing too is, that has sort of gotten lost in translation on this whole thing is that I'm not on the ground at the festival. I'm not a, you know, investigator, but it seems like the act of moshing didn't contribute to this. It was what's referred to as a crowd surge. And a crowd surge is when a large number of people in the crowd want to push towards the front. And for someone who hasn't felt that, it feels like you're in the ocean stuck in a riptide. You have absolutely no control of where you're going. There are a hundred people. 
there are hundreds of people in front of you, a hundred people, hundreds of people on either side, hundreds of people behind you pushing you. And I believe that's what ultimately contributed to the tragedy that happened. If you watch some of the videos on Instagram and TikTok of people who are filming from within the scrum, I mean, it's beyond horrific, obviously. I mean, the, I mean, it's horrific on a lot of levels, but that kind of real-time documentation, you know, if, if you're at all wanting to see how that felt, there are umpteen videos circulating online that will tell you and demonstrate, like, and display in very, very raw, raw ways just how out of control these individuals are. Or not out of control in the reckless way, like just unable to control the situation that these victims are. It's a very unnerving feeling. Right before the pandemic, I went to a Half Heart reunion show in Los Angeles. And Half Heart is a legendary hardcore band from Massachusetts who have been playing a few shows here and there over the years, but they broke up years ago. And that was a show where everyone came to see them. They came to let loose. They hadn't seen them before and they want to be a part of the crowd. And the second the music starts, uh, crowd surge happens. Granted, in this scenario, there were maybe 5,000 people there. But even then, you just lose function of where you're standing. You're just being pushed forward and you can't plant your feet. You can't stand your ground. You're just going with the crowd. Let's talk a little bit about some of the Travis-specific parts of this as you know you mentioned before it's built into his brand the rage is built into his brand travis has had fans i remember terminal five here in new york i think a fan either jumped from the balcony or was pushed from the balcony and ended up paralyzed it's almost as if the very existence of a travis scott performance informally sanctions this kind of next level of behavior and loose wildness How does it strike you to have an artist whose brand is built upon that? Because as you point out with Tyler, Tyler, that's a foundational part of Tyler, but I would not say that that is what Tyler is doing now. And even I saw Tyler at at Lollapalooza three months ago, and obviously that crowd was very intense. It was, you know, it was a huge festival crowd, similar to Astroworld, you know, like barrier split in the middle. And there were some jostling and pushing but it was not tyler is not urging people to lose it he's doing a different kind of performance now whereas travis obviously even as the show is going on and he can kind of sense that maybe there's a couple problems happening in the audience is still telling people make the ground shake make the ground shake what does it mean to be someone whose brand is kind of premised upon that tyler through his artistic growth has grown out of that phase X unfortunately passed away, so we don't know if when he took it to a larger level, if he would have continued his shows being so intense. I got to imagine he would have. Lil Pump's career fizzled out. He had some crazy shows. But Travis holds the mantle of being this guy in rap as the rager, so much to the point where he calls his fans ragers. He uses the term rage. He has built his entire brand around rage, around losing your sh to the point where, even though he was arrested for it in 2015, promoting his festivals, he shows kids rushing into the festival grounds and encourages it. This seems like a powder keg that was waiting to go off. It's always seemed to me from afar 
that where we were talking about the like ethics of a mosh pit and what it means to exchange energy between the crowd and the artist, Travis has always wanted rage, which in my mind is chaos. And that's where it starts and ends. For maybe some of our older listeners, when we say rage, we don't really mean anger. We mean chaos. We mean unpredictability. You know, we don't mean anger. That's not really the rage that that we're dealing in. But so just, you know, as a term, a clarification of terms, in case anybody's curious. The other thing, and this is a little in the weeds with Travis, but like you look on TikTok the other day and there's Travis's former manager saying sort of like renewing old allegations that they were in a studio and he was having a seizure and Travis just left him behind on the floor while he was having a seizure. And, and I think the, the broader question that's being broached certainly online. And I think with in the media is to what degree, not so much as Travis individually personally responsible for what happens in the crowd. I think that's very, very tough to know and almost impossible to really ascribe, but more, if you're going to create an environment where this might happen, shouldn't there be checks and balances on that? Like, shouldn't there be some kind of adult in the room say, ah, you know, don't go this far. Don't push this far. And I feel like now over the years, Travis, perhaps more than other artists of the generation has taken a bunch of heat online for various ethical missteps. And I feel like all that stuff's been getting resurfaced in the last 48 hours. A lot of those stories are coming to light where people like me and you might remember those as people who work in music from the early days, but the newer fans might not even know that those things happened. I mean, on a much more mellow level, him kicking the cameraman off the stage and berating him, that's been on the timeline or him in, or him crowd surfing and losing a shoe and encouraging his fans to... I don't know what language he used. He said, f*** him up. He said, f*** him up. He hasn't necessarily been the most responsible of artists in the past. Let's say that. Being in the public eye is extremely challenging. And I think it could tax even the most kind of mature, strong-spined person. But, you know, we are in a very unfortunate situation, big picture, and it can't, you can't help but start asking questions about the people who are the engines potentially behind that situation. What do you feel like this means, big picture, for the notion of a festival crowd that wants to come to Rage? Like, what's going to happen to basically make sure that this doesn't go down again? Are promoters, do you think, going to get a little bit more tame and, and a lot more careful? Is it going to be a security issue? Is it going to be a informing the fans issue of, of doing the thing that you described at the smaller unmasked concerts where you sort of say, hey, this is what we're here for. Everybody picks each other up. Everybody helps each other. Yeah, we can lose our minds, but we, we, we do it together. We do it as a team. Where do you think the responsibility is going to end up falling? I do think there will be a handful of protocols at concerts and festivals. I just saw a clip prior to recording this at the Playboy Cardi concert last night where the, I saw that, yeah. the promoter came on stage and pleaded with the crowd for about a minute. Please keep it in line. You can have fun, but don't cross the line. If anything happens, we're shutting the show down. I am producing my first music festival next year, and it's going to be a blend of rap 
and rock early Lollapalooza vibes and there will be moshing. I will be making that speech. There will be protocols in place. I just think in general, after this, these videos are going to be burned into people's brains. And I got to imagine that as we were saying, the generation that came to these shows to rage had no context for what moshing or what anything meant. Now the generation moving forward will have this in their brain forever, whether they were there or not. Some kids still might wild out and be crazy, but I do think there's going to be kids in the crowd now that, yo, settle down because something, a tragedy happened a year ago, two years ago. I, I truly believe that this will be stuck in people's heads for the foreseeable future. Man, I mean, I, I, I hate that it, I hate that it had to come to this, but I, I do hope that you're right. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see if not only is this a turning point for how these kinds of shows and festivals end up rolling out, but also for the nature of the music. Because I think as the music is going to react to what fans are craving, if fans are, are decreasingly craving the rage they're going to favor other kinds of music. They're going to gravitate in other directions. So I wonder what that means for hip hop as a whole three, five years from now. I can't imagine it's going to affect the music. Oh, really? Okay. That's interesting. I mean, especially in the times we're in culturally, politically, the pandemic, I think now more than ever, kids have a lot of pent up energy that they need to let out. I can't imagine it's going to future impact the music past the natural you know like someone like tyler went a little softer and then he went to rap but i do have to imagine it's gonna affect travis scott's brand i I mean he absolutely is gonna have to recalibrate i think it'll be interesting we should revisit this in like 18 to 24 months because i'd be really interested to see if the music itself, I think it might change. So I'll be real. I think we should, we should come back and and circle back in like a year and a half or two years when there's been some time for it and see how it goes. And we should circle back because I'm not even on the page of like, yeah, maybe you're right. I'm just on the page of, Oh, there's no way. Mark your calendars (laughs) for November, 2023. And we will come back and we'll see where we're at. Perfect. That's a on course for how frequently I appear on these things. (laughs) Roger. Yo, I appreciate you so much, man. Be safe out there. Okay. Thank you so much. That's our show. Thank you to Roger for coming through and talking about that stuff. It's, it's difficult stuff. Listen to every podcast ever, nytimes.com slash podcast. Email us, podcastnytimes.com. Get on the Facebook group, chat up in the Discord. Subscribe to podcasts anywhere you get your audio, Apple, Spotify, etc. Our producer is Pedro Rosado from Headstepper Media, who uh, is doing double duty this week. And look, I don't, you know, hopefully I don't need to tell you this, but look out for those around you. It's bigger than any one of us. And I hope that everybody will be a little bit more tuned into their circumstances in this kind of setting and in all settings. All we got is us.